0: Hi, my name is Hero Bean Stevenson, and you're listening to the All of Us podcast, where we explore and embrace mental health through the simple act of honest conversation. Before we get into it, I'd like to mention that in sharing my personal experiences and insights, I do not claim to be an authority or expert on any of the issues that might come up in the discussion you're about to hear. These conversations include in-depth discussion around various mental health-related topics, the details of which may be triggering to some. So please take care while listening. Finally, thank you for coming and enjoy the episode. Today on the pod is Tallulah Willis, and you guys... I cannot put into words how much this conversation means to me. This was our first time speaking, and our similarities and points of connection truly made me feel like I'd known her for a whole lifetime. It's a bit of a longer episode, and as virtual communication goes sometimes, we did encounter a few interruptions in the beginning, so bear with us, I promise it's well worth it. Tallulah's story is absolutely incredible. That's it for the intro, now here's the conversation. Bye. Now it's
1: we all guys? good. Groovy. Yes, yes, yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> there
0: you are. It's nice to finally meet you.
1: It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for understanding the other day. It was such a funny, like, Justin knows, like, oh, this is, of course, the way the world works. Like, I had been kind of putting off this bigger sister dialogue for... Like a couple months and the way that it sort of unfolded was literally like 30 minutes before we were supposed to hop on the other day. So everybody in room schedule are like
0: kind of going insane right now. There's zero expectation.
1: I'm staying in my boyfriend's childhood uh bedroom right now. Oh man. How is how is that? We got in yesterday. Um, I'm in Cape Cod, um, and it's been so wonderful. I'd never been here before, or but I always fetishized, like, small East Coast beach towns. Yeah, oh, like, totally. I've never been. Yeah. Um, so, it was, like, dream come true, like, driving through, and the town is so cute, and um, so we're here. Yeah. So, it's, it's so been... Fun. Uh, it was a good travel day yesterday. I hadn't, like, traveled really far distances in, like, m- you know, felt like forever. So that was such yeah. a odd airporty y um, vibe. But I would love to hear – I know that you mentioned it to me over the email, but I'd love to hear kind of in your own words, like, what – you're wanting from this podcast what the impetus to start it was like kind of all yeah. Of that yeah so i grew
0: up in la and i um went to high school i went to archer for high school um and around 2014 so the year i was graduating my mom who basically for the most part raised me by herself right. and she and i have always been so so close um she was diagnosed with cancer and at the same time was going through a divorce from her wife at the time Kim and at the same time as all of that she be, having been a sober woman for many years had also had a relapse and so she was really struggling with that um and I had kind of really I was really emotionally enmeshed in all of yep. that mm-hmm. um and like super hardcore just because n- and it was, no one's f- obviously I think with a lot of relationships that kind of have that dynamic it's no one's fault it's just that like being raised by a single mother and like knowing she was always such an honest parent with me I was really involved in her journey with sobriety and just kind of all of that I felt more of like a almost like a sister yeah. with her than like a mother daughter thing. So when she was going through all of that, I really, really felt it. And I kind of, um, as a coping mechanism, became Mm -hmm. bulimic during my Mm -hmm. senior year of high school. And I didn't know at the time, to me, it didn't register as an eating disorder at all. It was just kind of this behavior that I had adopted as something that would make me feel better when I was feeling really just kind of like, when I felt like so um, kind of like, overly full of emotion mm-hmm. I feel like the way that I was able to get rid of it and physically feel like I was eliminating all of this really overwhelming um emotion was to be bulimic right. and to get rid of it that way and so um so that was happening and then I had applied to Barnard College mm-hmm. early um, and I got in, and I went, and so I was in New York. It was my first winter there, um, my first winter in any seasonal place right. kind of ever, because when I had been in New York before, it was during these like, very romantic times when you're like, oh, I know how yeah. to deal with New York, and then you get there, and you're in a dorm room in Morningside yes. Heights in the middle of, like, zero degrees, and you're like, oh, this isn't, like, No, this girl. is a lot, like, yes. Is- <laughs> yes. yes. It's a lot. So I was there, and... I obviously had like no structure because you're all of a sudden in class, I had gone from having like a pretty regimented life to having class for like two hours a day and then being kind of like set free um, into the world and was kind of introverted, didn't really, wasn't very good at um, like reaching out and making friends. And so at the same time, like my bulimia at that point got really bad. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of decided that Uh, It was like going to be my mission to get over it. And in order to do that, I would become super careful not to like eat anything that would trigger the bulimia Mm -hmm. or to like I became really overly Mm -hmm. cautious, Um, not in an effort to like lose any weight or anything. It was just like as a part of this, like the bulimia. Right. And at the same time I was running because that's always something I had enjoyed doing I was going to the gym, and at one point, I think it was, like, two weeks into this whole process of, like, becoming more careful with what I was eating and working out, and I stepped on a scale, and I noticed that I had lost, um like, a pretty significant amount of weight. Right. And that, like, it was a super, like, really, looking back, like, a, it was a really dangerous yeah. moment because at that point, kind of, like, a light bulb went off, and I was like, oh, like, I can yeah. lose weight. I can be and I was never like my thing with my body I always had a pretty healthy relationship with my body um but I had this thing that with my Mm -hmm. face it's really weird because people really associate I think body dysmorphia with like your body Mm -hmm. image like neck down body and for me like Like, because of something like nothing that I'm in control of, I like have these baby cheeks and like my, Mm -hmm. I have a wider face and my eyes are really like all my features on my face are wider set. Yeah. And I've always been super Mm self-conscious of that. Even still is like something I have to deal with um, being a little self-conscious of. And I noticed that my face was kind Mm -hmm. of changing as I was losing this weight. And I think, honestly, like, there were a lot of things with, I think it was the control that the, the, so basically the eating disorder really escalated. It became about controlling my diet Right now on a mission to lose more weight as opposed to stopping the bulimia. It just kind of took on a life of its own. Um, And the sense of control it was giving me was really toxically therapeutic. And also I was noticing, like, my face kind of changing And I really liked that aspect of it, unfortunately, um, because I felt in control Mm -hmm. of this thing that before I felt I had no control over. Um, So yeah, that's, I really struggled. And about a a year and one Mm -hmm. semester in, my mom noticed what was happening like really soon, um Mm -hmm. we got me help in New York and we kind of tried to figure it out while I was still in school and then basically it got so dangerous Mm -hmm. that after a year and a semester I withdrew from Barnard and moved back to LA um and it was then which was in the end of 2015 it was then that I really like made Mm -hmm. it my mission to figure out what was going on with me um to figure out what this thing was that all of a Mm -hmm. sudden I was like a diagnosed anorexic and yeah. diagnosed with body dysmorphia and diagnosed with bulimia. Like there were all of these things that I really like had not, never associated myself with because I always like did really well in right. school and like had internships and like on paper was doing great. So I was like, oh, I don't I don't have any of this. But then when I stepped back and I was like, oh, yeah. you're like kind of like, killing yourself a bit like it was this new thing that mm-hmm. really had to take uh, the front seat um and so at that point i really went on this path of of wanting to figure it all out and being really scared to do that but um i was really yeah. exhausted by everything i knew i was hurting my body and i really needed to fix it and so i got mm-hmm. with a really great team of like a doctor and a therapist and since then it's just been like this long road of recovery and it was about with the podcast it was it was kind of early on in my recovery process where i recognized how I never received any education on eating disorders in high school like I knew how to drink responsibly in the human development classes they taught me like how to drink responsibly in college and like how to come out with my parents if I was anything but heterosexual and like cisgender and I knew about everything and I was the only thing that was food related or anything like that was this like outdated food pyramid that like puts eggs and wheat and whatever on top and like they talk to you about exercise (laughs) and they're like this is how much protein you need in a day so make sure to like eat chicken like they really don't teach you anything and so I really recognized that as something that um, needed to be brought to the attention of people at a much younger age or at any age, it just like needed to be talked about. And so I kind of I approached my the woman who Mm -hmm. actually I interviewed for the podcast, her name is Elise Resch, and she was my nutritionist and my she became kind of like my therapist. And I was like, Elise, I really need to do something with this experience that I've that I'm having, I really need to share the knowledge that I've gained with other people, like I really need to do something. And at that point, she was like, honey, I know that eventually you'll be able to mm-hmm. do things with this, but right now you aren't there. Like, you're just not healthy enough. You And I was like, fuck, like, I don't know when I'm ever going to be healthy enough. And it was, like, a year ago, finally, that, yeah. like, I had gotten my period back for, like, I'd had it for a year yeah. at that point. And, like, my hormones were finally kind of regular, and I just really felt like I was at the point with myself. Obviously, you never fully heal from anything like that. Like, I deal with it every day, but... I knew that I was at the point where I could use myself um, mm-hmm. to be helpful to others and to be of service to others who are going through this or who are curious. And so that's when I came up with the idea for the podcast. Um, and just kind of like my intention with the podcast is to really destigmatize mm-hmm. candid conversation around these things, um, not just with eating disorders, but with everything. I think so. Ma- like I noticed like with talking to my friends even or people that I end up having like really real conversations with I've always felt really comfortable with being super open about the things that I'm going through I don't know why but I've just always had this ability and I noticed that as soon as you kind of are vulnerable with other people and allow yourself to be open and they Mm -hmm. see that people really want to be open as well. And there's just not really um, there isn't that opportunity enough. And so that's why I'm starting this. And I really I don't know if it'll like go anywhere or what's going to happen with it. But it feels really right. And I just like I'm really excited to be in a place where I can I can do this and get other people. Wow.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that with me. Um, It's I'm I'm sort of sitting here a bit like stunned only because like you know i i know we know each other through crystal and lily but you know i don't know how much of my story you know um and because it's pretty much like razor sharp aligned with what you just told me with a few variables but um so i'm just like a little like Wow. I mean, so, you know, and I'll, I'll get into that. But, you know, so much of what you just said, like, I'm just like, wow. Like, you know, so, and, and some very specific pieces of what, you know, you shared and what your journey was um, happened with me. And and um, so that's why I'm just curious, like, you know, what, you know, sort of about my, my story and, and journey with all of this.
0: I honestly... I don't know very much about it. I knew um from Lily obviously like li- our very dear friend Lily um has told me so much not like a ton about obviously your your journey with mental health but she's just always described you as such like a really like beautiful aware human being when it comes to like just everything. Um and then honestly in terms of your mental health journey I recently in preparation for this for this discussion, kind of like, there isn't really what I found, I kind of very <laughs> quickly decided to not continue to look at and to just talk to you. Just because, I want to talk to you about this too, because honestly, like being a body dysmorphic person and having the privilege of living a pri- doing it living a private life, Um, it's already so difficult I can pretty much control who sees me and who looks at me all the time just because I'm not a public person but for you you grew up kind of in this unique circumstance of having like pretty well-known parents I think you were kind of followed around from a really young age and the fact that you had to deal with what I dealt with in your own way but like with people kind of having access to to you and wanting to, to judge you and put your image out in the world. I can't imagine how that was. So a lot of what I kind of came across was, unfortunately, the internet can be a very ugly place. And it was a, a lot about kind of like your family and your... I don't know it was very like tabloidy and so I I quickly like I knew that you had gone through some things but I really quickly decided that it was going to be a conversation to have on here and not for me to kind of like read what these random people had decided to make of your journey
1: and Um, I absolutely love that appreciate that and um you know just to kind of um to, to dive in, so to speak, I yeah, um, yeah. I was born in Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, and then, you know, we traveled a bunch, but um, that was home. And then I moved to Los Angeles um, this summer going into fourth grade. Okay. And I was just sort of this, when I think back and even, you know, hear stories from, you know, people that knew me, like a very was this open kind of... Um, magnetic like radiating like very friendly kid and um when we moved to LA my mom had just gotten into a relationship um and pretty quickly after that relationship got married um and she had been sober my whole life it I didn't it wasn't even something that you know She wasn't huge in the program, but it was something that, you know, I didn't even know what sobriety was. It was just mom, you know, like Mm. it was just, that's what it was. Um, We were very protected and isolated in Idaho. We didn't, we had some family friends, but it was very like, I don't even think I saw alcohol or people drink, you know what I mean? Like it was so not a part of my life. And then we moved to LA and pretty instantaneously, um, you know, my mom was in this new relationship with a much younger man. We were living in his house in LA. Um, and so it was like environment changed. I was at a new school. Um, and then, um, it was like fine. It, you know, it was new, but I was open to the move and to him being in my life. And then my mom, um, relapsed as well. Um, Mm. when I was, um, the dates are kind of fuzzy, but like basically around fourth grade, um, she relapsed and I didn't really understand what was going on. There wasn't a lot of clarity. Um, and so basically from that point, there was just sort of this, this new thing that was happening. Um, and I, I knew I didn't really like it, but I didn't really have a lot of skills or like the zoom out to be able to like process like what was going on you know you're like right. nine ten you're kind of just going with the flow or at least that's yeah of course my mindset of a, of a you know I've, I have two older sisters and being the youngest it was sort of I felt that my role was a lot of just going with the flow you know and not Mm -hmm. not speaking up not being as loud of a personality in terms of advocating for myself I was very loud in other ways and then um because we moved to LA and this relationship uh with you know my stepdad at the time was very sensational um in terms of the press and all of that there was a lot of coverage of us where you know in Idaho like paparazzi and being followed was an element like when we would travel or we would go to certain more public premieres or events when I was younger and I knew like the concept of photographers and what that was um but it definitely intensified when we moved to LA um -hmm. but you know it was still not really anything crazy and then when I was in uh when I was 13 so kind of it was like she relapsed at like 10, 11. And then at 13 was kind of the next big shift. And so this this using and um, was such a taboo in our family to speak about, you know, it was very unspoken, it just was happening. And um, I just learned to, I think, sort of stuff in whatever feelings came up around it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I felt a real distancing from my mom, you know? Okay. Um, yeah, and totally. Particularly not even just with the, um, with the using, but the type of relationship she had with my stepdad. Um, it was what would probably be described as like kind of severe love addiction. So okay. there was such an emphasis on him where in the past growing, like, you know, my childhood and life before then the emphasis was really on us Um, right right and so there was that that shift that felt very I couldn't really you know understand it so there was kind of a seed of this this narrative planting of like oh am I she doesn't like me or I'm I guess she just isn't interested you know and and those Mm. kind of feelings were coming up and then at 13 um I I grew up uh, and I was very small. I was four pounds and I was born full term. I wasn't a preemie. I was just tiny. So there yeah. was always this sort of, I don't think it was intentional, but this fetishized language around me of like ah. little Tallulah, like tiny little booski. Like it, it was kind of this thing where I was just, i was scrawny. I was always a picky eater. Um, I just, I liked plain pasta. I liked white food, hated vegetables. It was such a struggle to get me to really eat anything outside of like the 10 things I liked. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was always present. And and it wasn't a thought of like anything about physicality. Um, It was just I was a picky eater, very scrawny, Um, and that's just, that was my body. And I would get comments about it and, and kind of just, you know, people like, oh, like again, like little to little, you're so tiny and whatever. And, um, then at about, yeah, 13, um, I got my period, my hair went from stick straight to curly and then half of my kind of longish hair and half of my head was curly and the bottom was straight, and and they were and my mom remember saying like, oh, it can happen when you get your period, like your hair changes. And I had just gotten braces, okay. And I so essentially within maybe a four or five month period, I went from this like straight haired, strong like stringy little body to I had curly hair and I chopped it off to my like like a bob. I mm-hmm. got braces. My body hit puberty. And I started kind of getting a more womanly figure. And I mm-hmm. started getting a shape in my body. And I learned years later, like, honestly, only like two years ago, um, from my dentist, actually, that my, um, my jaw kept growing after I hit Puberty, so it was Ah. it was growing out of sync with the rest of my body. So basically, all of that means within a four or five month period, my entire physicality changed from head to toe, and I was in complete shell shock um, because I was kind of just like, "Oh, okay, this this is happening," but I still wasn't. in a n- totally negative narrative um, okay. and then I went to New York and I went to an event with my mom and I remember we used to have an apartment in New York and I remember I I believe it was just me my mom and my stepdad in the in, in the apartment in, in the city for the trip and after the event it was right at the start of kind of internetty blogs um, It was way pre-Twitter, way – I mean, I think MySpace was still present, but I didn't really have a MySpace. Um, Yeah. You know, there wasn't that real social media, um, but there was this kind of beginning of, like, the Perez Hiltons and certain gossip blogs, I guess. Totally. It was a
0: gawker era.
1: Yes. So I remember after this event, I was alone in – could, like, you know, those certain memories that you just feel like you're back there, you know, that just, totally. you know, implant into your brain. And I was in the bedroom and it was probably like 1.30, 2 o'clock. And I went on the computer and I looked up photos from uh, the night before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember I went through ev- and I, I looked at the comments of the article, whatever it was oh, saying, fuck. you know. Yeah. And I looked through every single comment. And I remember I just was waiting to find the nice one. Like I was waiting to find the one that was complimentary. And it was like 99.999 percentage of the language that was used was, I can't believe this child is so hideous. What happened? Wait, I don't understand. She has two really attractive parents. Like, words oh like my God. grotesque, deformed, um, like, you know, like, just, like, ugly over and over and over again. Uh, and, and you're how old at this point? I was 13. Jesus. And I just remember that. And there had been, you know, other articles, maybe saying stuff, you know, like, I think there had been like a few other moments where I saw something and maybe it had a negative connotation. And my sister at the time, um, you know, she was, um, I was 13. Yeah. So she was 17, 18. And she was kind of going through her, my oldest sister was going through her own journey of uh, not going to college and figuring out her next steps and, and was kind of trying to be an actress and be, in the world and putting herself out there. And she was struggling with some um, other kind of mean stuff online. And anyway, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really though, that moment that I can recall. And I remember sitting on the bed and I, I, you know was reading these words and I you know was left I was alone you know there was Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how the vibe was when I would spend time with my mom or my stepdad it was like just being left alone you know there wasn't a lot of coming in the room or checking in or let's go get dinner it was kind of just like do your own thing and um in that moment the mix of this sort of detached energy from my parent my my mom um and I think because there was a distraction with my stepdad and there wasn't that awareness of, you know, I'm changing. I'm, I'm becoming into puberty. My body is changing. Like there wasn't that dialogue um, with her where I was opening up or saying like, I'm, this is weird. This is new. And so there was just a lot of having to kind of decipher it on my own. Um, and so I, in that moment, um, I remember saying to myself in my head like okay an ugly girl like like it just like it cemented like it was like this is not uh this is not a perception this is not an opinion this is a reality and then the next question was what are we going to do about it how do how do we proceed you know but it was like from that moment on it became this like I, I sort of refer to it as like my etched in stone commandments you know like i just envision like like a lightning bolt writing into a, a piece of stone like just this concrete reality and so from that moment on i just that was it i, I was an ugly girl and mm. and not just and and it was just this idea of oh my god i'm i'm deformed like like in and so what was happening was every every comment, because I was even at that time, even after hitting puberty and even after my body changing a little bit, it was it was still a very standardly thin body, you know it was it mm-hmm. was there was nothing really different about it. Um, but it was my face. and it was this emphasis on there were no comments about my size, it was my face. And so that started a lifelong um issue and and uh insecurity and um and just thing you know this oh, thing yeah. around, I totally feel it know, around my my face and so over the next couple of years um you know I decided to you know stop really going to events with my parents unless it was absolutely necessary um and really just detached from, you know, I was like, this is me, this is only going to lead to meanness. Like, I just don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm not going to put myself out there. Um, yeah. It was like so
0: self-preservation.
1: I, yeah. So I dove face first into, you know, the sea of critics of high school, you know, and oh so then God. after, after 13, kind of the following um, trend, you know, evolution was boys and where my how boys reacted to me was like the next kind of, um, set of juries, jurors. And I was there. I romanticized everything. I really was, you know, I absorbed so much of that quintessential, um, high school, like from movies and books of like, you, you find a boyfriend at 16 and you get your license and, and, you know, I, I really harped on that narrative of normalcy of what I felt was, like, the, the way to do it. And, and I went to uh, Wildwood, which is a private school in L.A., mm-hmm. and um, it was a very small little pod. And, um, you know, I, I just recall, like, I had these braces. I had the super short hair hair this this new body and I was like, okay, like how how do we dress? How do we like how do we do this? You know? And and even then I looked at fashion and clothing as a um kind of a escapism of all of what was going on in my head. Hmm. And because I was so um you know the other narrative that I developed was a real awareness of wow my life is different from a lot of my friends.
0: Okay. And
1: I wanted to never I I was aware that a lot of people, because of the familiarity with my family and my last name and who I was and the privilege that was associated with that, I was really aware that I never, you know, that there were maybe some preconceived notions about how I might be, you know. So I never, I, I was very fearful of being connotated with spoiled or, you know, like that kind of, that the wealth that my family had and the life that we led would have affected me as being someone who was out of touch or unsympathetic or, or just couldn't understand, you know? Yeah. And so I, I was, um, and I also felt like um, because of that, because of what we did have, that I didn't have space to have problems. Uh, and so... Okay. You know, because at this point, my mom is still very active in, in her using and it was very uncomfortable. I didn't speak to any of my friends about it. Um, I had one best friend who's still my best friend all these years later, and she knew and she would see it happening and we would talk about it a little bit. But really, it was kind of just let's keep it all quiet. That was mm-hmm. also the environment at home was no one talks about it. So it was very, very limiting. And it was very kind of this, this stuffing down compressed energy of like, nothing is transparent. Nothing is being processed. I didn't know who to talk to, or if I had the permission to talk to anyone about, you know, these real deep perceptions of self that were that were that were blooming. Mm. And so it was kind of just my secret thing, you know, like, And And I'm sure there was some
0: comfort, like, honestly, as much as I'm sure there were times that you really wish that you had somebody to talk to about what you were going through. I think that also, if you if what you were experiencing was anything like mine, um, I think you must have felt like some sort of it was almost like the, the secrecy of the eating disorder. It kind of becomes like a sacred private thing where like no one else is is allowed in and it's this one thing that you have control over by yourself and like is yours and nobody else can kind of look at it and like affect it it's just your thing did you feel that at all that it was kind of like
1: no absolutely in the later years when it was really present that no I totally relate to that and and there was yeah so even before the behaviors around food took root there was a, this is my thing, you know, that I'm, that I'm dealing with. And, you know, as the years progressed, like I, you know, would set my sights on a guy and um, it, it never worked out. And so it had gone from the perception of the outside world telling me I'm ugly and all of these things. And that's what I took in to be truth. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe Maybe I can, you know, figure it out for guys. And then it was never really easy with guys for me. It was never something that, you know, there were men running to me or, you know, it was always like, I, I definitely also have some love addiction. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there were, there were, it was me setting my sights on really unavoidable men or really uh, like avoidant men, um, that would set me up for failure. Because oh, okay. you know, I was then being rejected, and then taking that and kind of adding that to the pot of oh, okay, here's more like more weight on this narrative, if that makes sense, totally, or more um, like
0: reinforcement to the, more to reinforcement, the yeah,
1: exactly. So, so that really continued, and so then when I around 15. 16 started drinking and using um, it became you know an immediate like oh this this is good <laughs> yeah. you know like this is right and so I had from a very early point I had very little control with my drinking um, and, it, and it really freaked me out and I couldn't understand why my best friend could always get the right amount of drunk at the party and mm-hmm. I would get level 10 every time and because of the tightness around you know the the hardened sort of protective bubble around what was going on at home and these feelings when I drank it was the only time I could access my emotions so for about six months in like 10th grade 11th grade when I started really heavily partying I would cry at every party I would go to Mm. and it was really embarrassing because no none of these people attending this party in the valley in someone's backyard not only really wanted to hear about this but had any capability of holding space totally and so then i would wake up embarrassed i would stuff the shit down even more and then you know so so as i as i drank and i used it started to become problematic and i just remember the reflection i would get from friends and other people is I felt very messy. And at the time I was still, I was, you know, I would say uh, societally thin. Um, But there was this thought of, I'm not, I'm not delicate anymore.
0: You know what I mean? Isn't it funny how there are those words like clean and pure and innocent and like delicate. They're all, and like, on the other end of that, there's like, messy and dirty and that kind of goes along with being like sloppy with then goes yes that goes along with being yes. big it's yes. so
1: crazy it's, it's so it's, wild it's no I mean that's exactly it there were these markers kind of of what that was and so am I talking too loud my head okay sorry um <laughs> there was there were these kind of markers and so I remember I just was like the, like I the level of insecurity, the level of self-image, like my my confidence, like it was just it was in the negatives. You know what I mean? Mm, there was totally. there was just no um, gas in the tank of of higher high, like high, like keeping myself to a higher standard. And there, you know, I really struggled with um, interests. I I didn't really connect. To schoolwork and the topics we were learning. I have ADD and it was never diagnosed. And so I, I was like really struggling in school. Um, and I, I didn't really have hobbies or passions. And, you know, there was this big injury around the fact that I basically, to simplify, there was nothing to distract from only obsessing and thinking about the way I looked. There was no There was no output. I I didn't have any time really um, that I I wasn't thinking about it. No, yeah, that and was your
0: after school sport.
1: That was the after school sport. And <laughs> so, um, as I as I, you know, crested all through high school and all of this kind of continued. My mom. Um, was still very deep in her addiction to this my stepdad, as well as to substances. And it became as I got older, as I started understanding what was going on more, it became more painful, more difficult. My sister, you know, went to call co- my middle sister went to college. So then it became just me in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I think there was a lot there was a lot of alone time. And there was a lot of disconnect on dialogues and how to, I just didn't talk to anybody about this. Um, and so I, um, when I was the summer going into senior year, I had, um, wrote a letter to my mom, um, basically calling out her addiction, um, and saying that I was moving out, um, Mm. Be You know, I, I couldn't be in the house anymore, and she was out of town, and I moved all my stuff to my dad's apartment, and he had just gotten remarried, and he traveled most of my life and um, was sort of in L.A., and then he'd be gone, and, um, yeah. you know, I said, like, I I need to move in with you, and so they, they planted in L.A. for my senior year, and I moved in with them, and it was very tumultuous for me. It was very painful to... Um, you know, disconnect from my mom. And I felt like her disinterest in me. um, And what I felt was her because I think what happened was she then would try to connect with me. um, But I was so out out of it. And I had had all these other coping tools that I learned through my, you know, adolescence and teen years that even when I even now, looking back, I can see, oh, there she was trying. There she was ah. trying. I was just like, what? No, bye. No, you Yeah, know? at like, that I point, like, you had
0: developed your own self. Yeah. You, could, you, you had developed your own self-soothing. You didn't need mom anymore.
1: Oh, I just didn't trust it. I, I yeah. didn't even know how to recognize, I think, more so. I didn't know how to recognize that that's what it was. So we... Um, we stopped talking. Um, you know, I moved out of the house. I, I really put up a hard boundary. Um, and I had been in therapy at that point for about a year and a half. It was not the right fit. It was sort Mm -hmm. of a, let's just say like a run of the mill therapist. It was a lot of talk therapy. It was not, it was a lot of, Hmm, Hmm. You know, there was a real tangible Anything. So it really wasn't also a resource for there me. There was no guidance being offered There to was you. no, yeah, there was not guidance. My sister, um, my middle sister and I were very close. And, um, you know, I leaned on her, but she was at school in New York, uh, and sorry, in Providence. And so I was just kind of like, okay, like, I'm, I'm tunnel vision. Like, I'm here. Like, I am, I'm my own, I am, it's like, I wasn't alone and I had people, but there was, I think, a feeling of, like, I'm alone. And so my – I went into uh, that summer – Sorry, I'm I'm bouncing all over the place. Don't so worry. the summer going into senior year, I had my sister went to Brown and okay. I didn't give a shit about college. I didn't give a shit about school. I didn't really have any interest, but I visited her at Brown so many times and I had the best time. And I was like, you know what? I want to go here. First of all, if you're trying to get into an Ivy League, you most likely have to give a shit way prior <laughs> to your year of high school. That uh, is true. And so all of a sudden, when I realized that this was something I wanted, I freaked out and I kicked into high gear and I was like how, do, like, how do I make this happen? And I had a college counselor that I was working with and I was like, I want this more than anything. Like, how do I do this? And I found that there was a summer program at Brown. So I- um, I did the summer program at Brown. Oh my god, I the similarities in this. Like 10th grade, baby. I did the yeah. design the design program. <laughs> so I I I packed up, I flew to Providence. Um I had gotten in trouble uh right before I stopped talking to my mom. I had gotten a minor in possession for drinking. And oh. so there was like some messy minor court stuff that was going on. That was very scary. Um but I it was kind of up in the air if I was going to be drug tested or not. I was still sort of figuring out like what was up. And so um, I couldn't do drugs. (laughs) And I went to the summer program and they, you know, sat us all down the first night and they were like, look, if any of you are caught drinking your application for... Because it was all people, I'm sure, that wanted to go to Brown. They were like, your application will be rejected on the spot. Like, once... If that happens. Like, you know, there was this daunting warning of, like, if you drink, your chances of Brown are fucked. So I was like, okay, absolutely not. And so I, I was at Brown for, like, I can't remember how long it was, a month maybe. And I was on my own, staying in the storeroom, and I had just been prescribed um, Adderall for the first time and it was like the first doctor to be like oh I think you have ADD so I get prescribed Adderall and I am at at Brown and I kind of for the first time in my life discovered like okay I'm not hungry iced coffee can be a meal replacement Um, and I just kind of dove into this funny course I took on fairy tales you know <laughs> and and um was and it was the first time that I had that oh wow you can lose weight from something uh, you know like what is an appetite suppressant like whoo, you know like it yeah. was kind of like whoa so i did that came back from summer brown um had also it was the first time that I was like, okay, I can survive on granola bars, smoothies and iced coffee. Like I, and it, it was, it was a middle ground between, oh, this, this is limiting my food intake. But also I was just, um, still the same five-year-old picky eater. So yeah. if I wasn't home, really having people like be like eat this eat this you know like whatever and it was me feeding myself on my own I also have never liked eating in front of other people okay. like in terms of friends yes but like a like a dining hall situation yeah um was not my jam I totally. was like I don't like that so you know there was a lot of but then I would also eat chipotle like every day so it wasn't a healthy thing it was, like, meaning, like, it wasn't, like, oh, I want to just eat healthy food. It was just more, like, I, I'm i very particular with what I'm eating. And and it started as just me being a picky eater. So, okay. got back from Summer Brown. I had this nanny that had been with me since I was younger. And she, um you know, was still sort of working with our family as sort of a house manager role. And she was, like, I you lost weight. And I was like, "What? Mm. no, you know, I was kind of that first, like, no, I didn't know. I didn't like, I didn't even know what I was doing, but it was so knee jerk to protect it. How crazy is the,
0: um, like the fight or flight mode that kicks in the panic when someone first, like kind of calls you out and like catches you doing your thing. And you're like, Oh, my oh God. this isn't just in my mind. This is a thing now. I right. totally remember. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, it was. And it was kind of just like, Oh, like uh, no, no, no. And, You know, I got, I got home um, and then I, you know, so senior year, I think something happened and then I got, I got, they were like, no more Adderall. (laughs) Like you can't, I I had lost the Adderall privileges. So I remember my first week of my senior year and I was at the, again, this is where when you first started telling me your story, I was sort of like, my jaw was on the floor because it was very similar. Like all of this stuff had had sort of crescendoed and I walked into my senior year and there was just so much going on. Mm. And I felt like I had gotten this taste of something at summer at the Brown program. um, And then they took away the Adderall and I was like, okay. And I remember that it wasn't like a, oh I'm going to do this but I remember that being conscious and making a concerted effort to limit my food intake became something that I could focus on. And so then even when the Adderall was gone, I was like, oh, I don't know if this will work, but like I was like I'll, you know, I'm going to just keep trying this. And so I became really focused on um, like, like being really aware of what I was eating. And I hadn't noticed any changes in my body, really, you know, there was like a slight, maybe a little bit of losing weight. Mm -hmm. um, But it was like, I was like, I'm not seeing this be like this big thing. So over the course of the first semester of my senior year, I went from like, Okay, let's try this out to getting on the scale every day and you know, I think the really and you put it so eloquently um, and articulate it so well, it was such an intoxicating high mm. to see the cause and effect of, oh, when I don't eat this much, this happens. And what I noticed, and again, why I was like, holy shit, I'm, if she doesn't know my story, but I was, the first thing I noticed was my face.
0: Oh my God, yeah. I
1: wasn't even like looking at my body in the mirror. It was, oh, okay, my face is changing. Like, and you said it again, so articulated, this thing that had, that had tormented me throughout my, throughout 13 until 17 years old. The thing that was my tormentor, that was the boogeyman, was my face. And most specifically uh. was my jaw and my lower half of my face. And because I had seen the words in that article, and by the way, it was not isolated to that. Every once in a while, I'd check back out on the internet and it was deformed, ugly, hideous, atrocious. Oh my God. Monster. Same shit. And so when it's think- coming from the public, it's probably very ha- I
0: never have. I've never experienced this, but... When it's coming from the public and not like there's a certain I'm sure you saw a certain amount of a certain level of like factuality to it. You're mm. like, oh, well, if these people that don't know me are all saying it, it. Then, like they're that not making it. it up like this there is probably was... a thing.
1: There was no reason for them to lie because they didn't know me. So then other people that were close to me would say, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Whatever. And I was like, cool. And you're like, you're lying. You're lying. It's it's nice of you to lie, but I know the truth. That was sort of my thing. So when I kind of started going deeper into this body spiral, things with my mom were, it was just it had reached epic proportions and um, I started getting like super aware of like clothes and how they were fitting me differently. And I was just very focused on um like the changes and the fact mm. that I was in control of the changes because everything else had felt like you said, it was so out of my control. It was something that I wasn't, I, I I was uh I was at the whim of this thing I, I was born with about my genetics. You know what I mean? Totally. And, and yeah, so like zero many control. People had my whole life, it was sort of this idolizing of my mom's beauty. And everyone always told me how much I looked like my dad. And okay. a lot of times people said it not thinking it cruelly, you know. But I was like, oh, great. I don't look like my bombshell of a mother. I look like my father, you know. So there was right. this thought of I have this – deformed masculine face and so I was very very protective over my hair and mm. I I I grew my hair very long and I I if I got a trim I would lose my shit I would start hysterically crying because that was my femininity I didn't this feel is feminine. so
0: so crazy how similar we are because I've always had like from when I was little I remember everyone would be like you look like Bjork or you look like that. Like I have always had this kind of like very androgynous, like alien face, which now like how lucky are we to have these like crazy androgynous, like beautiful faces. I think it's amazing. But when like you're conditioned to like learn that delicate, pretty and slim facial features is like the Mm -hmm. beauty ideal. Right. You're like, holy fuck. And then, people yeah it's it's so insane and then yeah people the masculinity thing again and that ties into being like bigger and not small and our faces are bigger and everything is like more kind of like burly and it's just a whole
1: like like a whole domino effect of I totally resonate with that no a hundred percent and so as I entered into so as I'm, you know, first semester senior year, I'm I'm rapidly losing weight. You know, I'm I'm really let's just say I'm, I'm picking up speed. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> le- I'm learning all the tricks. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> like and I think the other element was because I had no hobby and because I had never in my mind I'd never been quote unquote good at anything.
0: Okay. This
1: became something I could be good at. I was winning at losing weight. And I mm. I found I found self esteem from that, I found pride, I found like, hey, I set my mind on something and I'm achieving it. So there was this very backwards like rewarded system that was taking place. And the other thing was because the years I had been partying and drinking in high school, I always really was like ashamed and messy and like all of those things, I decided in my senior year. Because I wasn't eating, I couldn't physically drink. I would get so hungover mm. from, like, a one drink. And I would just be so ill for, like, seven hours the next day. You can't drink vodka on an empty stomach. Like, you just can't. Um, yeah. I I decided in senior year, I was like, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. I And I started smoking weed.
0: Okay. And
1: so it became this completely um i i all of a sudden dove headfirst into like weed culture and i became like that girl and so i was like oh i'm not gonna be sipping out of the red solo cup like i'm in the corner rolling blunt and i also connotated worth and value and self-esteem from how good i was at smoking weed okay. and so i i Basically, 180 from this girl that was in the short, cut off mini dress and clunky boots and drinking and falling into fountains at parties. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, okay, she's gross. She's disgusting. She's now, let's say, 15, 20 pounds bigger than my current body. Let's vil- villainize that. Mm-hmm. And let's create as much distance as possible from that girl and so I now looked in the mirror and I was like okay I'm now also connecting back to this version of me that was when I was younger which was lanky and delicate and fragile and Uh. because of this feeling of I can't talk about my pain and it had been that way for so long I I knew when I when I really set out and it became conscious of I want to be small and I want to lose weight it was not I just want to be tiny and sustain this it was I want to be so sick I want to look so ill and so physically apparently unwell that people know I'm not okay because I didn't feel I had the space to say it myself I wanted my body to speak for me you wanted to look on the
0: outside like
1: you had always felt inside exactly I wanted to look broken I wanted to look Mm -hmm. like somebody was like what the fuck happened to her like she's not okay and I remember that um you know and I I started wearing very tight clothing I was not hiding this you know what I mean like it was very um like let's not like oh I feel confident I want to show it off it was more like I just said like I just people I want that. Oh, yeah. You were like, what are you going to do now? I went through
0: fully my three years of only wearing slip dresses even in the winter because, like, not that I was wanting to show anything off. I had zero boobs and my body fat was, like, in the negative percentage. Like, I just kind of wanted people. I think that my thing, and I think what it sounds like is you can really resonate with this as well, is that from, like, I dealt with um, kind of, like, different burdens through my childhood than you did. For me, it was... I felt it was me, my family was me, my sober, struggling, sober mother and my older brother who is, he's two and a half years older than me. He's, he's Asperger's. And Mm -hmm. from when I was little, teeny tiny, it was me, my mom and my brother. And my mom made it very clear to me that it was kind of like my responsibility to look out for my brother till the end, like forever. Right. And then, uh, so that was kind of the responsibility that was kind of expressed and put on me but then on top of that I was kind of my mom was always and I I really like this about about the journey of her sobriety she really included her children and I was always very aware of it but because there was no um she didn't have a co-pilot I felt like the co-pilot from when I was a lot of from when I was four and so there was that and then my dad has always been kind of like I love him to death but our That we, and we haven't really, um, I never spent that much time with him as a kid, but a lot of the time, the conversation we would have was not appropriate for somebody as young as I was. Right, right. It was super toxic. And so all of this, I was kind of, it was sort of like somebody, like, like holding a, holding something that was becoming heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And And it was so much that finally, I was like, and I had always looked. I think we had the opposite thing, where like you were always kind of you experienced this fetishizing of you being teeny. Yeah, I was born. I was born small, but like from from a toddler, I was in like the ninety fifth percentile. I was a very hearty little kid. I had right. this Russian nanny that would mm-hmm. prop me on the sh- on the kitchen table in front of a sh- bowl of sugar, and I was just like living my truth. I was right. a very happy little large baby and then that kind of went into like my childhood I was always this kind of like hearty girl and right my family my I had my dad would kind of comment I was also very picky and that I only really liked white foods um and my dad who's very both of my parents are like you look at them and it's kind of a joke like they're both fitter than I will ever be like (laughs) it's so crazy and like my dad would kind of comment on my diet and my brother would when we would get into a fight would say things that were really cruel about my weight. Um, And so finally, when I understood all of a sudden that I had control over my body, I was like, first of all, me physically getting rid of all of this weight feels like such a release of like the the emotional weight. I feel like I'm just kind of dumping it off. And also me making me, me making myself look um opposite of this hardy girl that I've always looked like, i'm gonna all of a sudden now look so frail that they can't put their emotional shit on me because right. I look like I can't take it right anything. right no so that I, sounds I, like what you were that. going through where like yeah. you
1: wanted to look like you couldn't handle any of the shit anymore right. I wanted to evoke i think a sense of um like you know if there's something small and fragile and malnourished, you you want to you're drawn to go towards it and protect it and keep Mm. it safe. And no you hit the nail on the head. And so I think that the the mentality around that, that's where it was so um intoxicating. You know what I mean? Of of oh I'm I'm now going to such an extreme route to get something that I didn't have the capability of at the time to know how to ask for, to know how to communicate that, to know how yeah. to, to get that. And so it, it was sort of this, in a way, you know, juvenile like thought of you know, this is how you get it versus what I know at 26, which is, you know, communication and and all of that. And so you needed
0: nurturing, you wanted to like make yourself you want to like infantilize yourself so that people kind of treat you like a baby and like, want to take care of you. Yes. Yes. And that's,
1: that's really kind of where it went. And so you know, it was, this thing where I, you know, was getting very, very protective of it, you know, and there, there would start to be, like, I remember hearing from a friend that this girl I didn't really know in school, like, made some comment, like, wow, she should really eat a cheeseburger. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what a wing. Know, like, what exactly <laughs> like I was in, you know, and and I remember. Like people saying like how gross I looked and how I remember I had a guy friend and he was like Tallulah you look disgusting and I was like thank you so much like it was oh my god yeah huge compliment (laughs) it was this whole backwards thought process and I remember that I would weigh myself all the time and I remember I went on the scale and I got to it was like around I think it was like ninety five pounds I you know gotten down. And I was like, "Whoa, shit! Like, this is getting, you know, like it, it, it was sort of getting like, oh, okay, so we're here. You know what I mean? Like, we kind of got yeah, to a goal. the double like, digits. People were people were making comments. People, it was becoming a thing. And I remember yeah. that I thought, okay, like, let's sort of we like we can stop here. You know, like I, in my mind, I was like, yeah, this is this is okay. And then um, it had gotten. the the ball now was was the it had the train had left a station and I didn't know where the brakes were and yeah so there were certain things where I I then now had I'd beaten hunger I, I knew how to not get hungry but then I couldn't eat when I like it was very difficult then to eat like I felt nauseated when I ate so I would have to smoke weed and then go get an In-N-Out burger because it was the only way I had an appetite. And I just recall, you know, that this is probably six months into, like, heavily focused, you know, behavior around this. And I remember I was living with my dad and my stepmom and I woke up and, you know, you're constantly tired. You're constantly lethargic, very, very low energy. And I went downstairs And I tried to eat a cashew and I remember that I was chewing this nut and it was so exhausting to chew and to even swallow and I Mm. remember that I got freaked out and I was like, Oh, shit, like, this is not I don't have the reins anymore. Like this is out of me a little bit. And so I I spoke up to um this to my stepmom and I spoke up to this woman who had been my nanny that was still very close and I was like, you know, I think I need some help. You know, I think I think this is like a real thing. So I was very swiftly put into um, a – I had a therapist who was um, focused on eating disorders. And, um, you know, I started seeing him. He called me Cookie. (laughs) He was kind of this prestigious guy. um, But, again, I didn't – you know, there was so much stuff to get to the root of why this was happening that it it was just – we weren't really making progress. Um, Yeah. And so I, um, you know, I, I kind of, I would say that like at, it, you know, it was sort of escalating, 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 it, you know, friends were talking to me, people were very concerned. I had gotten the sort of reaction I was looking for, went into treatment. And then, um, you know, I, I kind of lost my grip on being, you um, good at restricting and yes. I think that once I was kind of the other thing was I was you know I didn't get into brown shocker so yeah. I was like you know we're approaching when you're supposed to figure out what's next you know for for schools and etc and whatnot and so um I you know, I picked a school I was going to go to. I was supposed to go to BU. I was just like, Fuck, whatever. Like, I was just, you know, I was so distracted that I, I got into yeah. BU and I was like, okay. And then, um, you know, I had I started getting um, help from this therapist and um, I sort of, I, I got out of the red zone. So I was still very small, but I had lost that, like, really kind of, like, sick look. And that kind of freaked me out, and I was yeah. like, "Why am I here? I'm healed. Like it's fine. Like I don't. I'm. I, you know, it's like I, like I don't look that way anymore. You know, whatever. And and some of the things he said to me at the time were helpful. You know, it was like, you know, the smaller you are, the bigger you feel. Um, which yeah, I found to be very true. You know, um, and and so I was sort of taking in. I was had a lot of monitoring of what I was eating. I had a nutritionist and. Once I kind of released a little bit, um, my appetite came back, and um, and all of that, and so I felt like I had sort of gotten out of the real danger, danger zone of uh-huh. that. And I also met my first boyfriend. Okay. Um, and so that, again, it was sort of like we moved into a new chapter where I met this guy. I was getting help. I sort of just like stopped paying as much attention um yeah but, it's uh, a
0: dangerous that kind of hovering zone and that second phase like the not not red zone but like just out of there is, is kind of dangerous because I went through years of that where when I was like really really like sick 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 like looked like I couldn't go another day I right, was like right. going to the hospital like then every all hands on board, my mom was helping me. Therapists yeah. were like, she is the priority. Yeah, But yeah, then yeah. you get out of that. And like, there's a whole thing with like, like you start, you train yourself to eat more normally. So like your friends are like, oh, wow, you're eating now. That's great. And you have this kind of, since you've been so like sick for so long, you all of a sudden look a little bit more vital and people really like. Can like they really see it and you're congratulated. And so I kind of hit this place where like I had gotten myself out At my very worst. I was like 89 pounds. I'm a pretty small person. I'm like five, four, five, five on my license. I lied, but like I'm five, four. Um, But yeah, I was like 89 pounds at my worst. That's when all hands were on deck. And then I hit the the sweet spot of like a 95 and I hovered there for probably three years and everyone was like, Oh, but you're doing so much better. And I was still going to therapy and still doing all of it. And my therapist was the one at least who was like, no, honey, you're, this is an issue. Like you're giving yourself osteoporosis still. You're on your fourth year of not having a period. But the issue was that when you look like you've made progress from such a low People are so relieved around you that they're like, oh, well, oh, but you're doing, like, my mom even, who, like, she's always had my health as a priority. She, even when I was still, like, 95 pounds, no period, people would comment and she'd be like, oh, no, you don't understand. She's doing so well now. Right. And, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, I still don't have a period. I'm not doing so well. Please, like, as much as part of my brain is happy to hear you say that because I can, it allows me to feel like I can continue staying here, I actually yeah. can't. So, like, please don't stop paying attention to the fact that I'm right. making myself ill.
1: Right. No, and it's it's such a wicked backwards web, and I really totally relate to that. And I remember – sort of a paramount moment for me was in kind of, like you said, like the height of it red zone. I had gone to a friend's birthday dinner. Uh, we were all at a sushi restaurant. And I remember mm-hmm. I was wearing these like urban outfitters, high-waisted flare jeans and like wedges, you know, and mm-hmm. like a little like skimpy little like baby, baby tee. And my friend's mom had zero chill and like zero like her her face was painted with shock and she looked at me and was like, Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, what? Like, oh my God, like you know and like, you know, shook it off meanwhile, like so elated. And then I remember it was probably six months later and I saw her again and she grabbed me and she goes, oh, honey, oh my God, you look, so, I'm so happy to see you looking so much healthier. and oh, it, no. Like, literally, she, it was like, she was told me that I was an elephant and I was like, oh, and it, it, you know. it." It's it, crazy it, it, how it healthy can me.
0: turn into like, in your brain, healthy means like
1: morbid Insult. obesity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, you know, and so basically, you know, from that point, what ended up transpiring was a lot of chaos and a lot of, um, you know, there were some other factors that, you know, were very relevant, but are kind of a much longer story. But um, like, you know, to simplify, trauma increased in different scenarios. I still wasn't talking to my mom. I decided to defer from college um, and like so I was just sort of like I I can't do this and um, was like I'll focus on my health you know and yeah but then all this other shit happened and I was at you know health I was at back to normal weight and um, you know but the and in that therapy with that with the first therapist or the eating disorder therapist he first was like you know you have body dysmorphia and Mm. I was like okay cool like I kind of looked at it as him being like you sleep weird you know like I I never took the time to dive into that diagnosis I didn't really care or want to ask what it meant um I was just sort of like okay and then um in 20 2014, yeah. So in July of 2014, um, my my drug use had been really ramping up, um, and I so I got sober uh, July of 2014. And when that happened, it was like my whole world kind of like again. It was like we're entering a new chapter I, mm-hmm. I, when I got sober I started talking to my mom again after almost three years of not talking to her I moved in with her um and I went to rehab and it was all this focus on um my drug addiction and my my you know dependency on substances and so I got you know help. From the therapist at the treatment center. We started diving into some stuff. Um, when I got out of treatment. I started seeing a new therapist. Um, I was doing a lot of healing. And a lot of work reconnecting with my mom. So the focus was really that. And we were just kind of. Looking and, and dissecting. And starting this journey of like. Let's mend all of this. And all of that. And um, I, I was. Not really totally thinking about. You know, I was just like, you know, when you get sober, you're just like, I'm a brand new baby, you know, like, what is this world? And so the other thing that happens is, um, it was sort of described to me as like, your body kind of goes into shock and there's such a vulnerability that, um, your body kind of holds on to, um, like, a like as a protective layer um, like a padding and it's a similar thing that can happen if there's sexual assault that happens, you can, uh. you can hold on to some more weight because it's a, almost like you're padding your body f- to protect itself. Oh, wow. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah. I don't, I mean, don't like, I don't, I don't know if that's like medically like it's just something that has been told to me and that yeah. i you know, sort of experienced in my own way. So it's not to say it happens for everyone, but uh, you know, Um, and so all of a sudden it was once again, like my whole physicality changed. I gained, I didn't just gain back all the weight that I had been at in high school. I gained probably 30, 35 more pounds than I'd ever had on my body. Um, and I was so like, what is going on? And I had cut my hair in rehab with myself. It, I then got home and I, cut it again and I eventually like four months sober shaved my head. And okay. when I did that, it was sort of this moment where I was like, I'm just, I'm I'm I took a I took a time out from obsessing about the way that I looked. And that makes it sound like I was in recovery or that I had healed. But the reality was I had decided that I was like, I'll just gonna be ugly girl for a little bit. You know, like, I'm just going to own it. And it's funny because at the time everyone was like applauding me and they were like, you're killing it with like owning this shaved head look, like whatever. And because I was in this real self-discovery and this sort of reboot of who I was as a person, um, I just was like, I, I took off even trying to be a pretty girl anymore. And so I was like, I'm no longer in the race. Um, I'm no longer in this game. I'm just this. I'm just me. I'm, I'm Tallulah. I, I I wasn't trying to hook up with guys. I was, You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if I'm describing this very well. No, I'm sure that was this.
0: such a relief for you because I know being somebody who did the extreme weight loss thing, it's very much becomes a competition with you and everyone around you you are constantly comparing your physicality to those around you and the kind of big win of it is when you get to the point that you're basically dying you know that there's almost like a dangerous sense of relief in that because you're like well I don't need to compare myself to these other people because I'm winning so I'm sure that when you got out of that it's such an ordeal to get out of that and like it's, it's a really tremendous amount of work. And so I'm sure that yeah. when you were in this new chapter, kind of shaving your head, I'm sure offered you a kind of like similar sense of relief, with like the removal from a, co- a sense of competition, but in a much healthier way, where like, you weren't killing yourself, you just kind of were removing yourself. in another Yeah, way. it
1: was just, it was kind of like, a, I'm just, you know, I I stopped, you know, I, I had my, my boobs went from like, kind of small a's to like double d's and i i didn't know i literally didn't know how to to put clothing on my boobs and so i was just like whoa and i ended up kind of in this uniform of baggy jeans oversized vintage t-shirt um and a shaved head And I was like, you know, that was kind of the vibe. And again, it was always trying to find clothing and a a style and an aesthetic that I could connect to Mm -hmm. that created, you know, output for me and release. And um, it was then that I started kind of being more comfortable identifying my emotions. That was something that I had learned. And so I started making art little illustrations that were just sort of my way of communicating my emotions and I was very um I was almost became a little agoraphobic and and I didn't leave the house I just was in this cocoon you know nice. and so that kind of happened and I I wasn't I wasn't being mean to myself because I was like why are you going to why it's it, like it was it felt so rude to be mean to myself at that point that I was like let's just not do it and And I'm sure
0: you were just exhausted by it too by like years of judging yourself
1: you know and and so a couple years you know into my sobriety I started growing my hair out I started being like whoa okay like let's be a let's be let's try to be feminine again you know like let's try to let's try to go back there And as I entered the hair growing out process, all the insecurities came back. And
0: Mm.
1: I, um, I remember that I, uh, went into my mom's bathroom and I, um, I started crying and I started talking to her and I was like, you know, I, um, and I, I've never really, talked about this in like any kind of public way but I think that it is really um I think it's really relevant to my story into this um into this uh atmosphere but I went into her bathroom and I before I got sober I had had a consultation with a plastic surgeon and Mm -hmm. um I just think I like literally like googled on my phone like Beverly Hills plastic surgeon and yeah. went in, had a consult. I was on a, so many drugs. I don't even remember the consultation. And then I put it in my back pocket. All the other shit happened. Got sober. And I went into her room. And I think it was about, like, almost a year sober. And I was crying. And I was like, you know, I was like, Mom, I I want to do this. I want to have, you know, because at this point, it was still the face. It was always the prominent yeah. issue. It was always my jaw. It was always felt really... It, I I really took that word deformed and and really ingrained it, and I was like, "It's up, like I need to change this. Like I like some. It's wrong. Like it was just wrong." And so mm-hmm. I um and I said, you know, like I, I want to do this, and she said, you know, I need you to start um working out, and I need you to start um like I think. What did there? What was it? It was maybe I hadn't. Sorry. Maybe I hadn't started therapy yet. And so she said, I need you to um, start therapy and I need you to work out for a year and Uh. then we can talk about it. And I said, okay. Was it for like a jaw reconstruction? Or yeah. Like what were you wanting yeah. to do? Yeah. So that—that's okay. what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a surgery on my jaw, and um, and so about a year and a half went by. I started doing Pilates. Um, I started getting more fit. I would say that like my body type became pretty athletic. Um, you know, like I—I I was, again, at this point there was no restrictive eating. I, just. I was doing me and, um, I was working out like two to three times a week Mm -hmm. and, you know, results were coming. It wasn't as satisfying as like, you know, it wasn't as quick as let's say, you know, when it's unhealthy, but I was like, cool, we're doing this. My hair was growing out. Like it was all like, it was slowly, like it was sort of coming back to a place where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of can recognize what's going on. And, um, a year and a half went by and I was like, well, I, sh- I need to start researching this, you know, on my, I thought about it every day, you know, it okay. was- it didn't- it didn't so you really, after the year, you really wanted it. Oh my God. Be- during the year, it was all, it was always the thing. And I had wanted to do this surgery. The first time I looked up the surgery, I was in, uh, I was 15 and I Googled it. And it was, like, really graphic images of a surgery. Oh, shit. And I was like, <laughs> nope, that's not what I want to look at. But it had been on my – like, it was something I wanted to do for years and years and years and years. And um, so I had a friend who had gone to a doctor in Beverly Hills, and I, you know, was – I was 22 at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> like, cool. And she had had a nose job. Now mm-hmm. I know that if you're going, if you want to get fries, you go to the fry shop. You don't go to the pasta store. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so there's I, there's I, a doctor
0: for everything,
1: right? So I went to um I went to this uh I went to this doctor, and um you know I had many many consults with him, and um I think it was about four months later and I had, um, you know, I, I was going to do it. And I had, you know, money in, uh, that I in like a savings account and, um, and I could pay for it on my own. You know, I didn't need anyone else to do it. And um, I kept saying to my mom, like, you know, I'm doing this. And she was so um, like uh, apprehensive, you know, and she mm-hmm. kept trying to talk me out of it. And I just was so, stubborn and i just said you know no like this is not you know this is not a perception issue this is not me reframing how i see myself this is not a self-confidence issue like it had been so ingrained from 13 that i was like this is a wrong here is an avenue to make it right you know like it was so black and white in my mind that no amount of therapy no amount of like uh, whatever it was just this is what needed to happen and so i had my surgery and um i remember i you know woke up and i you know was very swollen and you know he said it's going to look kind of crazy for a little bit and i went back to do a checkup on um like maybe four days later and I was on a bunch of pain meds and um, you know, I, I find that at that point I, my body hadn't had any substances in it and I was very like emotional, you know, I was very vulnerable yeah. Yeah. and they took off the bandages and they gave me a mirror and I just remember hysterically crying and i looked at my profile from the side and i just thanked them and i was like oh my god like you don't know like what this means and you know i put so much energy on the surgery and i was like this is gonna fix me this is this is the this is the the whole every trauma every insecurity like i'm gonna come out of this i'm gonna be like the fucking swan like i am gonna be so confident yeah. And so, you thought that you were like gonna emerge Giselle Bunchin. <laughs> so I healed from the surgery and I I could and so I could see a difference a little bit. Yeah. But then as you know, and they said it'll take like six months to fully be less swollen, like to uh-huh. fully see it. And all of a sudden, like I remember, there was this peak where I was like, "Yes, yes, like confident, confident, like man, man, like feeling yeah, good, yeah, whatever." Like yeah. I did this fucking thing, like whatever. And and then I remember I took a bad photo,
0: and oh, I was okay.
1: like, "No, no, 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 no!" Like I remember going into like full panic mode, and I was like, "But I did the thing." Like, why is this still happening? Like, why am I still taking these bad photos? Bo- like, why yeah, is you're this like, still- I surgi- paid for this to surgically I not be a thing. Do, do the thing. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, and essentially what had happened is I was looking for someone to, like, fully reconstruct my jawbone. Like, I wanted, like, the full redo. And what this doctor did is because he was not a this wasn't his um specialty Uh this area of the face he was sort of a general plastic surgeon he just did like a very tiny subtle thing thing and again he was like I want to do less than more so I don't like fuck you up and I was like okay and um and I was very upset I was very Mm -hmm. very upset that I had that it did it didn't do what I wanted to do and again I was 22 getting to 23 I still had a lot of baby fat I you know what I mean like yeah I still was growing and so I just remember that I went and I I completely plummeted again and I was like oh, well no. we tried and we're it's still not okay so what ended up happening is I got into a new relationship I sort of just dove into that and um And uh, went through this whole other, like, spiral. A year later, I got out of the relationship. And I remember that I got – I lost a lot of weight when we broke up from being um, really stressed out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, hello, old friend. Haven't seen you in a while. You know, it was kind of like, I remember this. And so after that year, it was like, okay, we've officially – Gone back from the sort of sober, early sobriety weight gain. We're back to like, there's like a smaller sense. And, you know, I remember again seeing the shifts in my face again. And at this point, I was like, I'm not in high school anymore. I'm like a woman, you know, what I, I mean, you think you're like a woman. I was like, what? Yeah. 23? I was like, I'm a fucking woman. I, you know, no longer is it, like, who's in the other high school. It's, like, there are men in the world, you know? And, again, yeah. from, from 17 in 2011, Instagram became a thing. Like, yeah. been, like there had been a huge jump through, like, imagery and social media and all of that. And, um, you know, I think so what happened was the following next year and a half I dove head first into my body dysmorphia and okay. it was so extreme and I remember that my sister I was in the bathtub and she talked to me and she was we were living together at the time and she was like you know Tallulah like you you really need to um take this seriously. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she was like, you know, you took your, your addiction and you're using like, you know, very, very seriously. And now you're sober and you gave that a lot of energy, but like this is a huge prominent issue for you. Like she kind of like TBH me and was just like, this is very real. And I was like, wow. Okay. And so what ended up happening is um, last uh fuck okay so now we're in august so not last summer but like la- like a year and a half ago like around okay. new years of 2019 um i had completely plummeted into like a massive uh manic and severe depression um and it was just intolerable like I I was depressed for so long and I didn't nobody was like you're depressed and I was I just thought that was life and so I wasn't necessarily focusing on active like food restrictions or anything it was just such and this is where my I guess mental health journey really kicked in um Mm. because I was like I you know probably November, around Thanksgiving of that year, I had my first moment of suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, what the fuck was that? What's going on? And I tried to speak up about it. And there was like, I had the same therapist for the past five years. It was again, talk therapy. He kind of was just like, yeah, okay. And I would tell him these things, but there wasn't really anything taking root. And so I started feeling so scared of my own mind and my own brain and it felt like there was like a true threat in living in my head and it would kind of go away for a second and I would just be normal depressed and then it would ramp up and then it was like maybe two months in between and then it was maybe a month in between and then it was a couple weeks in between and then it basically got to the point where I was fully suicidal Um, oh my god but i i didn't know what was going on and i didn't want to do anything i didn't want to take action on it because i could understand and i could comprehend and i and this is where it gets really tricky because there are chemical imbalances you know what i mean because yeah. i i had a life where i had i did have friends i did have family that cared and i knew that i had a really Quote unquote, good life. And there was so much to live for, so much to live for. And so I couldn't understand why my brain was telling me. And what was the most, I would say, it felt the most embarrassing. But the primary trigger of the suicidal ideation was the body dysmorphia. Uh, And so what would happen is I went to a place where I was like, you're never going to be beautiful. You're never going to not look like a troll. Let's just be done. You know, Mm. that was the thought. And I remember being so ashamed that that was what was getting me there. And I think that it was the veil of deeper traumas, deeper issues. It was sort of just the avenue how it was coming out. It wasn't the only thing, but it felt like such a vain surface thing like this is why I wanted to not be you know and 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 there was deeper stuff but um when I finally had my sort of you know true manic episode um I at that point was hallucinating I um, was completely out of touch I was having like very vivid violent hallucinations and and I freaked out and I called my sisters and um, I was like, I need to go to the psych ward. Like something was wrong with me. And so I ended up going into a treatment center in Malibu. Okay. And this was like a year and a half ago. And um, I checked in and it was so bizarre because I was like, I've been in a rehab before, but it was, you know, when you're getting sober, it's very difficult, but it's very cut and dry. It's let's take away drugs and alcohol one day at a time, then we can get to the deeper stuff. But really, like, you just take away drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, once you do that. And so I went in, and it just, it it wasn't as clear, like, the linear path to recovery. Like, I didn't know what was going to fix me. But I just felt, I did feel very relieved to be with professionals. I felt like, okay, here we are, we're going to do it, whatever. So, I started, you know, doing intensive therapy there and I I was telling them every, you know, everything and and they had a psychiatrist there and I'd never been medicated. And so that was my thought was I've never tried antidepressants, I've never tried medication like let's like you know, you you want to hope that it's as easy as a pill, you know. Totally. Um, and did you
0: have any, so with, I went on um like two years ago, I, three, I think it's two and a half, three years ago. I went on, I ended up going on an SSRI um, and I went on Paxil, which I'm still on. And I had a lot of apprehension about going on anything because my mom's drug of choice was always pills. Right. And so I and she so because of that, and my I have addiction all over my family. And so I'm from a child was very predisposed to being addicted to anything. And so my mom was always so like with my brother didn't medicate my brother didn't medicate me like was the opposite of a parent that was going to put their kids on on like an Adderall or anything like that. So when i went on something for me she uh, it got to the point my kind of exhaustion of like my inter- my inner turmoil being like a a daily soap opera yeah that like she and she the parent who is like the last parent to ever recommend her child go on any kind of medication was like please 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 go on something i can't yeah. watch you go through this anymore and it right. took me from her suggesting it then 2 years To finally, like, I tried everything. I'm, like, super into, like, holistic, like, uh, holistic healing. I tried all of, like, the Ayurveda and the the medicinal mushrooms and the yoga and the meditation and kundalini and everything. And I was just like, fuck, this is much more powerful than any of that. This is a chemical imbalance. I need help. So with you, as somebody who dealt with sobriety, was going on something like that any kind of a concern to you?
1: So... I was, at that point, I had, I was approaching five years of sobriety. Okay. um, And I felt really, really strong in my sobriety. I'm really lucky that, you know, it wasn't, like, I'm very, um, I can, how do I describe this? Like, if I put my mind to something, it's like, I'm going to do everything I can to do the thing. And so when I got sober, I was like, we're getting sober. And I was really lucky that it wasn't getting sober, relapsing, getting sober. It it was just in my mind, I was like, this is it. And so I've never, I, you know, I've never relapsed. I've i never, you know, the, uh, the cravings had long gone. It had been so ingrained in my life at that point that I wasn't concerned about um, trying something. I was just like, oh, okay. Like, like, let's just, again like i i maybe this can help you know but i was worried because i the only thing i knew about antidepressants or being medicated for depression was that it can be a really um like like you said, like I'll, you try one thing you try another thing it takes a while yeah. to find the right thing it's it's not like a one stop shop and so that worried me because i was like fuck i don't you know there's a lot of side effects i i didn't really want it to fuck around with like the side effects and yeah. so But at this point I was like, I'm thinking about taking my own life. Like I will do anything to feel better. You know, I, I was really, I was on my knees. I was like, let's, I will try shock therapy. Like I was open to try anything. Um, and so when I got to Malibu, you know, they put me with the psychiatrist who was on the staff and I was very much like, I'm open to this, like whatever. And she Um, gave me some stronger um, diagnosis. And she said Mm -hmm. there was elements of OCD with me that they explained what body dysmorphia was more deeply and the the actual like the uh, dangers of it and the Mm -hmm. impact of it and and how big it can be. Um, They described to me what like, you know, they, they diagnosed me with like severe depression. And I felt such immense relief at my diagnoses because... There was a feeling of like my depression not being taken seriously, and ah. that it felt like I, it was just like, yeah, like, like you're okay, you know, like it was like, I'm depressed, and it was like, yeah, like we all, you know, I think the other danger was that we, in those, you know, in the past couple years, depression and like e- even being suicidal, like has become acronyms of like jokes of like, oh, kill myself, or like, like, completely. Uh, like, Gen Z or what are we are we Gen Z? whatever we are like depressed yeah. like the world sucks and so I felt like it wasn't taken seriously and that was really scary and so having this doctor this woman be like this is real like you and and that you have a chemical imbalance and that you she diagnosed me with this thing called DPD which is, um, depersonalization disorder and depersonalization is a symptom of severe depression and usually presents itself temporarily as, um, you know, and the, and the attributes of it are you lose, you lose track of like time and space. Like you don't feel like you're in time. And, um, but what happens with DPD is that if you are so severely depressed for such a long period of time, depersonalization manifests as a disorder. So it becomes constant. It's like your reality. It becomes your reality. And so that happened to me and that was where the hallucinations came from. And so when she told me that, I was like, holy shit. Like, think that, you know, you're like, this is real. Like, I feel so
0: seen. Yeah, So
1: seen. So anyway, this woman is like, all right, let's start you on a antidepressant. So they put me on something. I ended up for two days staying up, um, feeling crazy. And they at the treatment center, they were like, we're going to run a genetic test on you, which my feeling is that anyone starting a medication before they do should do a genetic test. So what they learned after the fact, after I don't even put on this, antidepressant and was going out of my mind was even yeah. more suicidal was that I have a genetic um, malady where um, my body breaks down any SSRIs and I have bipolar symptoms
0: oh my gosh well, I didn't so, even know that that was a possibility
1: yeah so I started having by bi- like being bipolar And they decided at the treatment center, instead of taking me off of the antidepressants, they gave me lithium. So they just gave me bipolar medication. So what ended up happening is I was just being like shoved medication. And I was with professionals, medical professionals. So I was like, okay. And I started freaking out and feeling so upset and they prescribed me Ativan. And I was like, yo, I'm a drug addict. Like, I don't know if this is cool. And and they were like, look, you're monitored. Like, take it like you're okay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was like, no, no. Like, are you, you know, I think I asked like seven times. I was like, is this okay? Is this okay? So then I started taking Ativan because I was having such a strong reaction To all of the medications that I was on. And I was just basically completely in like a medicated waking dream state, not nightmare state, let's say. It wasn't dreamy. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happened was I was so mixed with, like, my body was so in shock over all the medications that it was being introduced with. In addition to the fact that throughout the day, it was constant therapy groups that were talking you would share your traumas. So all of my traumas came up to the surface. I was on so much medication that my body went into shock and I physically couldn't eat. So then I had to be fed liquid. I was on a liquid diet for about a month and a half because I couldn't even swallow food. And it was so fucking crazy. And, um, I ended up, um, getting out of treatment and I I got home and I hired these two mental health companions um, to live with me because I was like, I, I can't live alone. Like I I don't, I was like, I'm a fucking baby. Like I, I live in this like incubator where everything's like taken care of. And you know, I just, I was like, I can't do it. So when I got out of treatment, I was there for two months and I got out of treatment and I, um, I was out for a week and I was all of a sudden took a beat and was like, oh my God, I am just as suicidal as I was when I walked in. And my mom was like, I'm really concerned. And I, and I said, I am too. Like, I why? Like, this was supposed to help.
0: Yeah. And
1: so I called the psychiatrist and I said, this is what's going on. And she said, okay, let's put you on and was going to put me on another SSRI like another antidepressant medication and at this point I think I was taking like 12 medications oh my god and one of the medications had a side effect of gaining weight and in retrospect this woman was highly negligent to such a severe degree she knew I had eating disorder in my past she knew I had body dysmorphia she didn't tell me that a side effect was gaining weight which you should it's so dangerous yeah. And um was just trying to ply me with more medications and I said to everyone in the team, my mental health companions, my mom, I was like I this is not right. I need to I want to see a new psychiatrist. Like this does mm-hmm. not feel right. And so I we found another psychiatrist and I walked into her office and she looked at my chart and she was like, "Honey, like she was like, are you okay?" And I was like, "I don't know. Like what do you mean?" And she was like, you are on, like, three antipsychotics. Like, why are you on this? And I was like, I don't know. And so she was basically like, I don't think you should be on this. And I had felt so uncomfortable in all of the medications that I was like, and she said, you know, we can taper you off for the next four months. And I said, no, I want off right now. So I yeah. cold turkeyed four antidepressants. At that shit. Point, I had been put on clonopin for the effects of all the antidepressants and yeah. I cold turkeyed a benzo all Oh my god at the same time and so I lost my mind for a week and a half and I was detoxing all of that were you at and home detoxing I was or at home. did you go to I was a at home. no at this okay. point when i got out of treatment i literally didn't leave the house i was a fetus baby and was like on the couch just like trying to breathe yeah and um and she said because of your genetic malady i have these two medications that are not ssris but that focus on body dysmorphia ocd depression and anxiety so, I went off of everything, started two medications that mm-hmm. were for anti-anxiety. Um, and literally once the detox was done, I like was like euphoric. i how was, like, soon oh, after
0: how soon after quitting the other like twelve or whatever amount of medications did you start the other two?
1: Um I think it was like instantaneous. Okay. like I took the other ones. As and it like I again, like I cold turkey, it was like one day, like, it yeah, just, it was not like take two. Like, there was one that was dangerous to go off of rapidly that I had to titrate off of, uh-huh. but for most of them, it was just like that day I was like, don't give them to me. Okay, and um, I just have visuals of just basically like my hand filled with pills and just like mouthfuls of pills taken mm. multiple times throughout the day, and um. And I just, I came back to life. And so the past year and a half um, has been like a real reset of being properly medicated. Um, I found a new therapist after treatment that is amazing. Um, And we're doing some really, really beautiful work together. And, you know, it was just such a bizarre experience. And, You know, I started finding that, you know, one of my things with my body dysmorphia was I got, you know, delicate, but like pretty much tattoos like sleeves um, when I got sober as like, a I need to feel something and pretty immediately regretted every single one of them to the point (laughs) where I would put band-aids on them. I felt like I that was another part of the suicidal ideation. I felt like I had ruined my body. Um, and it, like, I wouldn't get out of bed sometimes. I was only wearing Mm. long sleeves. Like it was really, really, really bad. My, you know, with my tattoos and about two months into taking this new medication, I was like, oh my God, I haven't thought about my tattoos in months. Like I, all of a sudden was like, I'm not obsessing. I'm not looking in the mirror. I'm not, it was like the first moment. The OCD
0: was, had like melted away almost.
1: Yes. And it was the first moment of relief. And so there was, like, this euphoria of I'm finally, like, I was, like, I'm meeting Tallulah for the first time since 13. How beautiful is
0: that?
1: It was stunning. And the other thing was when I was in treatment is when I started my clothing line. And so when I started it, I was, like, we have to connect this to mental health. And so all of the groundwork for what is my business now began in treatment and you know it sort of paused a little bit through the detoxing but you know it was starting to evolve and build so throughout the year of like coming back online and finding myself and you know I want to be really careful in saying it wasn't that I went back to how it was I was in uncharted territory because yeah. I was like I'm now um I I'm not depressed my anxiety doesn't really exist really any like it was so bizarre to not feel burdened by the things that I had been burdened by and you know one of the things that I so strongly champion is a real skilled psychiatrist yeah Um, it's
0: a it's a it's truly amazing what what people can do for you when
1: when you're properly medicated it's a complete game changer and and so you know, as the, um, you know, as as time went and my self-esteem was building and my confidence was building and all of this was happening and I sort of paused and I, you know, because the, the BDD and the insecurity and the girl that, you know, that like this the slobby drunk like what you know all that the thing that I villainized that I was you know um I still kind of look at as like okay how how different am I than that now like there's a certain obsession that I have of
0: needing like, to maintain that just dis- that distance
1: that that distance from her you know mm. and and that's so and that's the thing that I'm constantly working on because it's 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 I was her. I remember how sad we were. I remember how insecure we were. And so when, you know, you have any of this stuff, you are the meanest person you know. You are without a doubt, at least for me, I am the most critical. I am the most judgmental. I am the cruelest person to myself that I know.
0: Oh, yeah. You took those comments that you read when you were 13 and you ramped those up
1: by like a thousand
0: to yourself.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, so as I was getting softer and gentler and as it was less prominent in my life, it was like the lens that I saw myself through was lifting and kind of becoming more clear and less smudgy and less mean. And I was getting self-confidence because I finally had a career and a passion and something that I was interested in, something that really evoked, um, A passion in me which was clothing and um it had taken me so many years to find something that did that and so there was just multiple elements of like release and euphoria and and I was happy I was genuinely happy for the first time Mm. in my entire like upper adolescence how free did you feel so free oh my god I felt like I could do anything but at the same time I still, you know, I stopped driving when I got out of treatment because I was, like, on so many medications that I was, like, I don't want to fucking hurt anybody. Yeah. Um, so there was, like, all of this growth and all of this movement. But then it was, like, I still didn't go to the grocery store. I still stayed at home every, you know. I I didn't drive. I, You know, there were these things that I was still trying to come back online for. And, um, you know, one of the things that happened was... One of the medications that I'm on, um, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want anyone hearing this to, like, get (laughs) ideas, um, is an appetite suppressant. Okay. And so that was sort of this thing that was a little insidious because I was so good and I was so happy and I was so – like living in clarity and gratitude for the people around me and the love I had. And then mm-hmm. um, I was genuinely not hungry. Yeah. And, and, so, and also, like I said, when I had been at treatment, I had been on one medication that made me gain weight. And so I was just like, ugh, like not feeling great, but like whatever. And then all of a sudden there was so much going on. There was so much learning and newness and reintegrating that I started losing weight and I wasn't noticing. And so all of a sudden I, and I, I, I haven't been on a scale since I was 17. I have refused to know my weight since then. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I think it's just dangerous for me. Um, But I started really noticing that um, like my body was really changing and yeah. um and it was so interesting because I I was like yeah but this is different because when I was 17 I I wanted to look sick and I wanted it to be um this this statement you know what I mean um yeah where a year ago I was like oh fuck I guess this is how you know I was like I yeah. guess this is you know happening to my body and yeah my sister was like um my sister started talking to me about it and they were like, we're really worried. And I was like, no, you guys, like, I'm good. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm, I'm okay though. Like I'm not doing this. I'm not like bad, you know? And I'm sure and-
0: no one believed like, cause obviously you've, you've kind of like everybody around you has been through like the, this, this the negative journey that now when you kind and like, obviously eating disorder is, when you're really going through it or so you kind of like you there's a lot of lying that goes on to of the course, people around you so I'm totally so I'm speed. sure like when you were telling people like no this time it's different like did you cut like a lot of people were. I'm sur- I'm sure so suspicious of you
1: and, and I was, st- I was, they were, and I was very, you know, I was like, no, like, we're okay. Like, yeah. it's okay. you know, I just felt so good that I was, yeah. it like, oh, only happens when you're fucking in the pits. And I would always kind of hold this image because after 17, I, in my mind, even when it would flare up again, and even when it was like, broke up with a boyfriend, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not conscious of it, but you know, I'm stressed. So my appetite's curved. Uh, curbed um I always held that I was never as small as I was in high school like it was always like that was the picture that Mm -hmm. was like when it was okay for people to be concerned ever since then like we were saying it's the it's the grayish area that you hover in where you're like no I'm okay it's not as bad as that you know and I remember like last summer or like last maybe like a year ago um my sister was talking to me and I was like, yeah, but remember, like, it's not as, it's not as it's not like high school. And she goes, Tallulah, you are severely smaller than you, than you were in high school. Like you are the smallest you have ever been. And it really threw me. Yeah. And, and I was really trying to be honest about, okay, am I feeling this good because of this? Is this an element of where my confidence is coming from? Is it the medication? You know what I mean? Like I was trying to separate the two because yeah. all I knew was I felt really good and I didn't want that to change. And and so subconsciously, there was that protecting of it and there was that, no, 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 stop. Don't talk about it. Like, it's fine. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't look at this too deeply. And I remember that, I, it was starting to become where anytime I saw people outside of the house, um, someone would make a comment. My mom would make a comment. A friend would make a comment. And it was the first time that I ever started wearing baggy clothes to okay. hide it, where I would consciously put on a longer shirt or a, a something less – you know what I mean? Like it wasn't yeah. like, oh, I'm, I was wearing stuff to show it off. It was that I um, – I was trying to sort of like protect it, as you were saying, you know, yeah. and that's so real. And the the biggest thing was I, I could see the difference in my face and, you know, through in part a little bit to growing up, to just baby fat going away and also probably a little bit of what happened with the surgery. And when I was 22, you know, I... Um, I had to take a new license photo, um, like eight months ago and I, um, took it and then my license came back and I pulled up my old passport photo because I had gotten a new passport when I shaved my head and I first got sober cause I lost my passport. Yeah. And I had a full mind, like, uh, mind melt. Because I was looking at both photos and I was like, these look like different people. Oh, wow. And I feel like I can say that the way I physically look now versus what I looked like in high school versus what I looked like when I shaved my head and got sober is shockingly different. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a mixture of things. But it was such a complicated feeling that came up in me because there was a very unrecovered side that was giddy. That was thrilled. That was like, I've done it. I have created enough distance from what was labeled wrong. And then there was this other part that again was so melancholy for that girl for the girl in the other photo yeah. because I was like why are you so mean to her like she felt bad enough back then like why are you so mean to her and you know so kind of just like you're so you know lovely for sitting through that full saga but um, to just kind of wrap it up to the here and now you know I have become so gratefully educated on mental health my own Mm -hmm. others the vastness not only with what it can do and the impact it can have but on how many people it affects yeah um and so that like you were saying with the podcast like my medium of output is making clothing and yeah, to make clothing with you know and as I've said clothes were such a huge part of my journey, every step of the way of self-expression and of escapism of not feeling good and trying to, um, find, find a, find a grounded place within myself. And, you know, so I, I see the, the magic that it can possess, um, and, and, you know, the real tie to mental health and it can hold. And, and, um, so it's really important to me to use my platform, to use my business, to use my life in constant uh advocating for mental health and what comes into that as well as body dysmorphia and and what that can mean and normalizing the fact that it's not a vanity issue it's not oh i want like i just want to look pretty today you know it's it's if i if i don't look differently or if i don't change or if i look this way then like i And fundamentally as a human being, not okay. Yeah. Um, and, and the depth of that. And it's interesting because I think that the way that my, you know, my journey with, you know, eating issues and and self perception is gotten to a point where I'm 26 now. I'm six years sober. Um, And I think within my own body, I have normalized, um, like weird behaviors around food. Mm. And, you know, I think that it's, I, you know, it's, as you said in the beginning, it is not a linear issue. There is not one day where you are just fixed. Once this thing has been felt and seen and activated, you live with it constantly Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm at a point where I have tactics where I don't look in the mirror, I'm not allowed to unless I'm brushing my teeth, I am not allowed to stare in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been times where I've put towels over mirrors, I you know what I mean, like where I just have to make that boundary. If I'm yeah. in a real activation of the BDD, I can't take selfies. I yeah. cannot, I cannot obsess over photographs of myself. Um I also um, get really triggered mm, when I, you know, a lot of times during quarantine, you're. I was bored, so I would go through my phone. I would go through photos on my phone. I have to put a real boundary on doing that because I will always be like, "Yeah, but that day I looked better than this day," and that. Oh, you know it's what such anything. a thing. And it's crazy. It's such a thing, and you know, I feel like. A huge element, you know, at this point, I, I've been with my partner for six months. Um, it is far and beyond the best relationship I've ever been in. Um, and I found someone who really allows me to be exactly who I am and the gift in being not just able to be loved like that, but to have done enough work on myself to receive that love, um, versus just pushing it away because I had deemed myself unlovable, um, yeah. has been tremendous. And so having the support system of a partner who I can share these insecurities with, I can share these triggers, I can share, like, you know, the tunnel vision that happens when you see a bad photo of yourself. Yeah. Isn't you it know? amazing, like, the
0: the joy, like, the what a healthy relationship can bring to you is so beautiful. Like, I, I have my boyfriend, we've been together for... A, like several months we've known each other since 2014 but we we got together in the very beginning of March and the other day and he's very aware of everything yeah. that I've been through and the other day we were in the kitchen this was like two days ago we were just talking and I was like you know we were talking about just um kind of like the nonlinear uh trajectory of an eating yeah. disorder and I was like honestly Ben you know, yesterday I was sitting here in the kitchen by myself making coffee and I I caught my reflection in like in the in the glass of the oven. Yeah. And I noticed that like I had this crazy thought where I was like, you know, I really do miss having a really big thigh gap. What yeah. could I do to get that back and yeah. not also lose my period? And I was like, mm, yeah, that can't happen. You're a woman. Yeah. That's just not a thing. Let's not think about that. Right. And, like, the fact that I then, like, I told Ben about it, and then kind of minutes after I walked into the other room and I was, like, um, how great is it and how beautiful is it that you have a partner that you can be that vulnerable with and sharing that's- that? Like, that's an embarrassing mm-hmm. thought to have. And, like, but you, you know what I mean? It's, like, so no, a, a healthy partner is so amazing. And also, no. like... I don't know if you dealt with this too, but... So, a big part of... I didn't date for, like, the the four years that I was really deep in the shit. I had dated a little bit, but not really. And I was I had a really complicated relationship with men and my therapist, Elise, who has been my guide through all of this looked at me one day and she was like, honey, I know this is going to sound harsh. And I know you're not going to understand right now. But any guy who is willing to go on dates with you now you when you are healthy will want nothing to do with these people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Don't you do you feel that way also?
1: No, I mean, I think that That is definitely, um, like, I completely understand that. And I think that when you yourself are fetishizing your own unhealthiness, you want someone else to also praise and fetishize that. And I think that if you find someone like that, that is not healthy for either of you. you (laughs) Totally. It's a disaster. And so, you know, I never, um, I I didn't date when I was at, you know, my, my most small. And and so I, you know, didn't have that direct experience, but I can totally relate. And I think that, you know, the, the one thing that I want to be very, very clear and very transparent on, because anyone that listens to this is going to hear an hour and a half of me talking about how much I've hated myself, how much I've, Villainized a bigger size, how much I've glorified an unhealthy size, and I mm-hmm. just want to be very, very clear that there is absolutely nothing wrong with a body size that is bigger than mine, that is you know smaller than mine in a natural healthy Mm -hmm. way that you know that that is what i've come to understand yeah in when i can be in my healthiest zoomed out recovered brain and and like and i i'm I'm i was thinking i was going to articulate this very well but basically i just don't want anyone to think that oh to willis has uh um uh discriminates against other bodies it's no i don't Here's the thing about being someone I've found with BDD or an eating disorder. You don't give a shit about anyone else. It's a very selfish and very narcissistic situation. Totally. I'm not worried about your body. I don't give a shit about your body. You're fucking beautiful. You're glorious in whatever you are. I only care about myself. I Isn't that had- interesting too? Where yeah. And like people, when
0: you're, when you are totally in the shit of the self-harm of your own body, you can like, there were plenty of times where I would look at somebody else and be like, aren't they stunningly beautiful and like a glowing goddess? And people would look at me and be like, how can you be safe? Like, you're not you're lying to us and yourself. And the, the weird thing is, is that you're being so honest and genuine because it is only you that you're trying to tear down.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing is like I've I've had different moments of struggle because, you know, I'm I have a pretty decent following on the Internet. And Mm -hmm. so when I put something out there, it's seen by a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, at this point, the structure of it is like I can post something or there's paparazzi photos and it becomes an article online, you know. So more than just the people that follow me on Instagram, there are eyes. There There are eyes and in brains that are processing me and what I'm doing and what I look like. Yeah. And it has been very interesting for me because in different dips into my disease of the mind and, and and my harming of self and my broken perception of self I have put out images of my body mm-hmm. and for me it's the 13 year old in the room that wants to hear anything opposite or contrary to that I am grotesque or that I am deformed or that I am a, you know, complete bafflement product of my parents. You know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to heal that wound of please just tell me I'm okay. And first of all, that answer comes from within. It's the most annoying thing, but it's true. That answer comes from within. But in the moments that I am looking for validation or I am looking for that, Um, you know, that's, that's where it's coming from. And I've had people and girls, you know, write me and say, this is incredibly triggering. Like, Mm. like, this is not healthy, like be more mindful of what you're putting out there and have called me out for it. And it completely guts me and it grounds me and, and it puts me really in a place where I need to check in and say, like, I I don't even sometimes, like, I am so not aware of my size. Or because of my warped perception, I don't even look at it as, you know, whatever. And and so I'm just like, oh, this is me at the beach, you know? And I'm like, yeah. we all want the sexy shot, you know? We all want the, like, most flattering angle. Um, and then I'll have people kind of writing things like about, Like coming at like, you. Yeah. And it's not that I... I don't feel the impetus to fight back and be like, fuck you. Like, this is great. Like, you know, like pro pro this, you know, it's more that I, I, especially for younger girls, especially for girls in adolescence, in their teens who are going through something similar, who are going through something where they're feeling dysmorphic. They're questioning the value of themselves, putting value on the way they look. Um, you know, it's like, I, I just always want to plead, like, I don't care about my body. It's my face. Like, this is the issue, you know, but I obviously don't have the energy or the time or the capacity to explain that to every other person. And it's not your duty to
0: also. No,
1: no, to, to have to give that explanation, but it's just something that I've had or that I would like to be more mindful of, Mm. you know, um, because I really, um, I, I don't, I don't villainize healthy bodies bigger bot any fucking body like yeah, i'm of course. i champion and support and want that it's it's just so my own shit and my own perception that i like and still like ugly girl and thus that girl d- didn't have value and you know i think that it's really important in tandem you know when you're sharing really honest vulnerable um you know uh, candid stories and journeys mm-hmm. through this you know i think there could always be the potential of a listener who's still in it who might be taking elements of who who might be uh being very selective with what they're taking from this you know and, and might be filtering only like oh that's how they did it and this is how mm-hmm. you do it and that's a whatever and i just you know, that is just something to be mindful of and the responsibility behind that. And I want to add that one of the things that has helped me pivot when I f- maybe feel the draw to want to be less healthy and, 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 you know, fetishize different be- behaviors in myself that will cause a certain outcome. Um, as I've gotten a bit older, especially since I've found a really, um, you know, powerful partner and this isn't for everybody, but like, I've always wanted to be a mother. That has always mm-hmm. been a really important thing for me um, since I was a little girl, you know? Um, and th- again, this isn't for everyone, but just if, if this is something that helps like, and one of the things that, you know, I, sometimes, you know, I'd meet with doctors or I'd have therapists be like, your bones and like your brain. I'd be like, it's being affected. I'd be like, who fucking gives shit? You know what I mean? Like, I was very like, whatever. But when I started to understand, like, that it could potentially affect having babies or that a baby cannot grow in a vessel that is not, like, nourished, um, that is one of the things that has stopped me in my tracks. Um,
0: that is so yeah. crazy because that was always my thing. When I was, like, in my lowest, lowest place of, like, I need something to convince me that this is still worth fighting for was you, you, it, it is your life's purpose. My personal one. This is not, like, royal you. This is me personally. I've always felt so called to motherhood since right. I was an infant. Like, tiny, tiny baby. Yeah. I was, like, this is my goal in life. Dream. Like, I feel like I will have... Done what I will do and what I was meant to do when I have a baby, and so yeah, that was totally my thing that I yeah. would always like make my mission.
1: And um, it's so interesting because on that note, I um, about oh god, you know, when you're like, what is time? Like, time feels so crazy right now that yeah. I'm like, that was doesn't yesterday. exist. But, um, I don't know, like roughly maybe a year ago when I was sort of plummeting in weight, but like hadn't really like, you know, it was just happening and it was sort of due to some medications and, um... I wasn't as like aware of it. Um, I went and a friend of mine had just had a baby and she named it Tallulah. And I was like, oh mm. God, like this is so magic. Like, bah, 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 bah. and um, at the time she was living like walking distance from uh, where I live. And so I remember like I threw on this like fairy looking, like whimsy dress and I like did a little walk over to her place to go meet this like magical little bean that had just been birthed and um I've always been like you were saying like I've it, you know if there's a baby I'm like oh my god let me scoop it up you know like let me hold yeah. it and yeah we went and I walked in and she was sitting on the couch and I sat down and she handed me the baby and my arms started shaking because I couldn't mm. hold the weight of this baby. And I was very, very embarrassed. And I was very scared. And I was like, uh, hey, can I get a pillow to put under my arm? Because obviously, I wasn't trying to, like, bl- like blow up my spot. Like, yeah. you know, there was a few people there. And it wasn't just her. And, um, and I also didn't want her to think that I wasn't, like, I was going to, like, drop her bait, you know. But yeah. uh, I remember they had to put pillows under my arms. And I was so mortified. And, it, and from the outside, it must have looked very cash. Like, oh, I just want, you know, a lot of people want pillows under, whatever. Yeah. And there was another, like, person there who um, I remember, like, I held the baby and I was just, like, loving on her. And then they scooped her up and the mama was holding her and then someone else held her. And there was this other person who um, was holding her and was standing up. And was like walking around with her. And I was so mortified. And I was so, and I was so self-shaming because I was like, holy shit, Tulula, you could not hold that baby standing up. Yeah. And like you would put that baby in danger if you were standing up right now. And mm-hmm. it was really um like kind of that stop in your tracks, like, like you kind of had that moment where you're like, really? Like, really? Like, is this worth it? Yeah. Like, and that was that thought, which had not really been present before of like, all right, you can be this, but is it fucking worth not being able to hold a baby? Like, and it was that thought of like, what if it's your baby? Like, are you really not going to, you know what I mean? Like, it was just sort of a different spiral, but I went down and, um, I, I do ground back to that moment, you know, um when I need to kind of be put in my own place by myself, my own mind. And I just definitely want to kind of, you know, end this tale of my own trauma and woes and journey with, you know, with that awareness that um, whatever you think you gain from losing weight and from being at that low, low and, and look, it's still very much, like I remember it was Thinspo on Tumblr and now I'm sure it's on Instagram I don't look totally. it up but like whatever it is whatever the images are that you can compare yourself to you know that that are out there that you can find to compare yourself to and I'm again I'm not talking about just like standard society thin like you know what I'm you know there and I uh, do oh, no, it's a the internet is a dark place you know that dark that darkness like what's what's the other side what's the consequence you know and i think that for me an actionable step in my recovery you know because i'm very self-driven self in Mm -hmm. like self-interest driven so like as shitty as this is like my disease is stronger than like a family member being like i'm worried i'm sad you know what i mean like i'll be like absolutely sorry but like really i'm like but you know me and so I have to find something that affects me directly in order completely. to completely. And so when I found the thing that did affect me, like that's my anchor point, you know? And so I would recommend anyone who is struggling, anyone who is in the place or, you know, trying to get recovery or, doesn't want to get recovery yet and is like really stubborn and wants to just keep going if you can find within you whatever that anchor point can be you know what I mean find whatever consequence feels scary enough and bad enough um that you can that you can really hold on to
0: or something to even like like with you motherhood and with me motherhood something to look forward to where, like, on on one end, it would be, like, such a horrible consequence for that, for the illness to prevent that from happening. On the other end, it's, like, a goal to work towards. And, like, health exactly. will afford you that goal.
1: Exactly. Because I think that sometimes the goal just being the physical goal. Oh, be it's so very not sustainable. Scary, and that can be something that other people can understand. Other people mm-hmm. around you can understand be like no but don't you want you know what I mean and it's understanding. yeah like we have different ideas of what we want for us totally and, it needs and, to be
0: up to so, you I
1: mean, it needs to be up to you and I just that's really what I want to leave on this note is like because a lot of people you know I feel like I sometimes have written me or asked and it's like yeah, but like, how do you like? What's the way through it? Like, I and I don't know the right answers. I everyone is different. All I can try to bring forward is like the one or two things that have been actually helpful. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I've gotten totally. Booked. I've gotten you don't. I, scare tactics are not going to work. Like, you know what I mean? It's like I need to find that thing within myself, and um, and so yeah. I mean, I think that. With all of that, I, I am, I am still a work in progress. I am nowhere near finished on this work, but, um, with the whole connected loop of negative eating behaviors, BDD, compare and despair, you know, whatever that is, like I, um, I, I just, I found that like finding that anchor point finding people in your life like our partners or anyone else that can Mm. really hold the space with empathy and sympathy and love and just being as communicative as possible because keeping it to yourself and not having someone that you can check in on and just be like this is what's happening for me today you know I'm having a really bad totally I'm having a really bad flare-up and you know, I, it happened to me recently. I was um, in Idaho and I was just having a ter- like a truly psychotic BDD day. And yeah. I could not accept the way I looked. I, and it, and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm happy. Like I feel gross today. Go on with the day. I was stuck. And I texted my boyfriend and I was like, I need alone time right now. I need to mm-hmm. just be in this and, um, and he said, yeah, whatever you need. And I, I couldn't talk about it yet. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't process it. I just was in, I just needed like a moment and he was like, yeah, take all the time you need. And he like 30 minutes later knocked on the door and had a picnic basket and, um, had made me lunch. And like, we went outside and we talked about like our first kisses mm-hmm. and I just was taken out of that moment. You know what I mean? And it was such a beautiful... Like, I just had so much gratitude for my life in that moment. And I was so grateful that I was able to, like, get out of that spiral and be in a space of gratitude for, like, what was happening, what the reality was, and not be in that old, dark, toxic spiral.
0: Um, Yeah, it it was such a reminder of the beauty in your life that your health has afforded you.
1: Absolutely. This has been... First of all, I again, I'm still shell shocked that you and I have so many similarities. I had Yeah, well, no there's idea. we need to
0: we'll talk about this so much more. I oh can't my wait.
1: god, please. Um, and I am really really appreciative of what you are setting out to do. I think that this is something that is very very um, important and is something that affects so many people um Mm -hmm. so many more than maybe we even realize and I just I'm really appreciate you asking me and allowing the space to share my story um and you know I I think that it's just really great that you know there's the intention for crafting um authentic spaces like this
0: Thank you so much, and thank you so much for honestly like your vulnerability and taking the time to just share like so many of of the details of your journey. I think it's so beautiful and i, I it really gives me chills to hear that you've found empathy for the girl that you once judged so much yeah. and that you've found beauty in in who you are now and I think it's so amazing and I'm so grateful for this time
1: oh, thank you and I where can we find
0: that- where can we find your clothing line? Where can we find you?
1: So, you leave. I am, you, it's Willis.com, W-Y-L-L-I-S.com. We're on Instagram. It's at Shop Willis. Um, I am on there at Booski, B-U-U-S-K-I. Um, and, you know, there's just so much more to come and there's Yay. so much more, you um, you know, the marriage of uh, making clothes and using them as ways of advocation for mental health is, you know, I'm just tip of the iceberg on what we can do. And I'm, I'm super, super excited. And I, I also think that finding a real impassioned um, creative outlet is such a um, healing tool as well for totally. all, of, all of my my uh, my crazy brain
0: <laughs> well thank you so so much thank you for your time and I can't wait to to keep talking to you about all of this absolutely and to hopefully hang out yes. after all of this is yes. done enjoy yes. Cape Cod bye. bye. bye